Oh, Bretto. What's up, MP? Damo just called. Yeah. He thinks there's going to be 100,000 people at the Wellness Summit. Oh, again? He thinks we're bigger than Michael Jackson, the Rolling Stones, and the Beatles all put together. Damien Christoph has gone completely mad. Did you know he's made eight tons of forage? What? <laughs> and now he wants you and I to help him get rid of it. Oh, Damo. So, look, being the good friends that we are, we've asked him. You've been forced. Well, we've kind of twisted his arm to make him literally give his forage away to 100 lucky Wellness Summit attendees. So if you're ready to enrol for our signature two days of inspiration, education and empowerment and entertainment. What do you mean, MP? Australian Idol winner Wes Carr makes his Wellness Summit debut this year, Bretto. Wes Carr, you'll be guilty. So if you're ready to be entertained, head on over to thewellnesssummit.com and get four value bags of forage muesli or one bag each of paleo, muesli, bircher and porridge when you register. Now, all you need to do is register for this two-for-one special, bring a buddy, bring a friend, bring a family member or a colleague and then choose your forage selection, four muesli or four assorted and get four bags per attendee. That's eight bags per double pass. That's almost 250 bucks of forage for free when you register for the Wellness Summit on August 25-26 at the Collingwood Town Hall in Melbourne. That's 150 serves of breakfast. Almost six months of breakfast just for registering for the Wellness Summit. Well, it's first in best dressed. These 100 tickets are only available until June 18 or until sold out. All the details of this special offer, all the topics, featured speakers and more are over at thewellnesssummit.com. Thanks for making eight tons of forage, Damo. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Hello there, lovely listeners around the world. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And it's always such a great pleasure to have you uh, listening in, tuning in, learning more, and also sharing your experiences uh, after you've heard some of these episodes and jumping into our social media and, and you know, sharing as well. So thank you to all those ladies who jump on board and uh, share your stories and how the things we're teaching and I guess sharing with you are actually impacting your lives. And we thank you so much for uh, opening up the the box and opening the door to us and telling us a little bit about, you know, your life experience and how, you know, the things you've learned with us uh, is impacting you in such a positive way. So it's always a thrill when we we find out that uh, our listeners are getting as much as we hope you are getting from this. So this I think this episode is another one of those ones today where you're going to find that um, whilst it not probably geared towards the solutions it's certainly a great insight into just learning more about um, such a big broad topic so today ladies we're going to talk about uh, autoimmune conditions now as we we go on you're going to realize that uh, there's not one particular condition we're going to highlight but we'll talk about a a broad cross-section of conditions um, and just how they're all interconnected some of the relationships between them and Andrew's going to share some of her stories um, and myself as well and we'll we'll kind of 
hopefully give you an insight into the hows and the whys behind autoimmune conditions and potentially some of the things you could do to prevent or to reduce your risks of uh, of opening that box with uh, regards to your you know genetic predispositions and potentially environmental triggers. So, Andrea, I think I'd love to start today with something that's very close to you because obviously you know within your your own life and your families this is something that has has touched you and they always talk about you know health professionals becoming health professionals usually because there is something in their own life or their own experience that sort of guides them down the road of uh, discovery and that certainly has happened with you as well I can't believe that we haven't covered autoimmune conditions um, sort of exclusively yet on the podcast because it seems really obvious. I know we've sort of dabbled into, you know, we've dipped our toe in the water with things like when we covered Hashimoto's thyroiditis and, mm. and other things. And we certainly mention it regularly, but we haven't done an exclusive episode just onto that. So it definitely deserves its time in the spotlight right now. Um, and like what you alluded to, Ash, it's interesting that most health professionals have their own health journey and their own story that leads to, you know, that reason why they get into, you know, the health profession, why they want to help people, because usually it's out of frustration and their own experience that puts them on a path. That was certainly true for me as well. And I, it's funny because I completely forget that and I completely disassociate with that because what most people don't realize, and I think I've only ever spoken about this once, um, which was on the Gut Healing Summit with Kale, um, that I actually, I don't know, revealed, this sounds a little bit dramatic, but talked about the fact that I have lupus or SLE. So it's called systemic lupus erythematosus is it's, you know, like full word, but most people just refer to it as lupus. If you've ever watched a house episode, you'll know that lupus is on the differential diagnosis list for almost everything. Um, but it is, you know, one of the most serious autoimmune conditions. And I was diagnosed with this when I was eight. Um, so, you know, when I was really, really young and, you know, my team of medical doctors at the time then changed their mind and decided I was too young to have it. So I um, thought that I was misdiagnosed, but then officially diagnosed when I was 11. Like I had all the signs and symptoms, you know, the classic um, malar rash. So it, you know, the um, flushing of the skin and the redness on the face that um, forms like a butterfly. So around the cheeks and um, Ash and I are on video, so you can probably see it perfectly now. And this is probably the only residual symptom that I have these days, which is a good thing. So it's along the bridge on the nose and along the cheeks, and it looks like a butterfly on the face. It is worse in some people and used to be a lot worse um, in me as well. They might get swelling of the joints. Um, they might have really serious malaise or really serious fatigue. Um, usually they're photosensitive. Um, they might react to absolutely everything. Uh, and this was certainly my story. So I think that um, how it led to my diagnosis was that I was always like a pretty sick kid. I sort of went through a period around that age, um, sort of eight-ish, where I would wake up every morning and my hands were really swollen and I couldn't bend my fingers because they were so painful. Um, I would get fevers from being out in the sun. I would get everything that was going around. Um, and then we went sort of down that medical road um, through testing and diagnosis and all sorts of things. And there was a family history for me as well. So my maternal aunt had lupus too, and it was like a very similar presentation. Um, so um, yeah, there we go. And then when Ooh. I was 11, I was officially diagnosed and 
I was pretty sick through a lot of my teenage years and I definitely missed a lot of school and I completely forget all of these things. But, um, you know, now when I sort of (laughs) unpack it or or piece things together again, I remember uh, the way that this all manifested and I missed, yeah, a boatload of school. Um, But then as soon as I graduated high school and I really took charge of things, that's when my health changed dramatically. Um, And I really haven't had um, like a lupus flare up is what they're called um, since high school, which is pretty amazing. That is amazing as well that uh, you've managed to, I guess, control the situation with obviously changes you've made to your life or there's, Mm. you know, some triggers that have been removed, whether intentional or not. And that's allowed your system to, to in some ways, repair and uh, restructure to prevent that, I guess, exacerbating autoimmune response, which is mm-hmm. interesting because, I mean, it's most people haven't heard of lupus. There's not a lot of information unless you're specifically searching for it. Um, mm. It's not a common, you know, if someone thinks of autoimmune conditions, it's not always the first one, you know, that people think of. They might think of, you know, degenerative joint diseases and inflammatory conditions and skin and things like that. But uh, lupus is certainly one that affects more women than men. So it's a very relevant yeah. condition to women's yeah. health. And interestingly, it was uh, back in 2015 that Selena Gomez, the, the famous actress that was, you know, connected to your very famous Justin Bieber there, Andy. So, <laughs> you know, there's always a, a, a one-point connection to someone someone you know. Um, yeah, she came out in the media and said that she's had uh, lupus and at 25 a kidney transplant as a consequence mm-hmm. to this, you know, side effects. So it's really interesting to see that, you know, whilst it's not a uh, well thought of and often spoken about, it's certainly very relevant and it's certainly affecting a lot of ladies. So um, that's probably, I guess, you know, a great insight into, you know, one of the very many autoimmune conditions and there's over 80 different autoimmune conditions that have been identified. So this is where, you know, when you start to think of um, autoimmune conditions, it's not as simple as just saying, oh, okay, well, you know, if you've got an autoimmune condition, then why don't you just fix it? <laughs> um, because it's, there's just so many triggers and factors and, you know, autoimmune conditions RA, rheumatoid arthritis, is, you know, one of the most common on the planet. Um, and if it's so easy to fix, I'm sure they would have a solution for it already. So how did you find with your family history, like, you know, obviously because genetics mm. is a big player when it comes to autoimmune conditions and, you know, if someone's got an autoimmune condition, it's, it's absolutely relevant to ask the question who, you know, in your family has also been diagnosed or identified with symptoms or has been identified with an autoimmune condition because there's nearly always someone, um, you know, either direct parent, a sibling, an aunt, an uncle, someone in the family line has uh, has got an autoimmune condition. Uh, and like I said, it was my maternal aunt who we knew had lupus mm. um, so previously. And I think that just given that family history, I think that is what led some of the medical team to even investigate that in the first place. I also had some fairly overt symptoms, but in an eight-year-old, it's fairly rare to diagnose something like that so mm. young. Mm. Um, my family also suspected that my maternal grandmother had some sort of autoimmune condition. And now fast forward to now, my older sister has since been diagnosed um, with lupus as well. So um, she kind of, you know, goes through flares and, and that sort of thing. My little sister Joanna has celiac disease and we suspect that mum has some kind of connective tissue 
issue as well. Um, let's just backtrack for a second and let's just classify what autoimmune conditions actually are, just for those of you who may not be very familiar with it. And it, it is exactly as it describes. So autoimmune conditions are any kind of disease where the immune system goes a little bit haywire and almost like misrepresents your own tissue as being some sort of foreign substance um, and attacks itself is probably the easiest way to understand it. And that's certainly very true for lupus. It can be selective systems. So for example, in something like um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is the um, autoimmune version of hypothyroidism, that is where the immune system is more focused on the thyroid gland. Whereas with lupus, it's multi-systems. So, you know, like with Selena Gomez, it was her kidneys. Um, and that's, uh, you know, kidney issues was definitely something that I struggled with for a little while. Um, it, it can be kidneys, it can be joints, it can be the nervous system, it can be gut, it can be all of them all at the same time as well. So um, it is multi-systemed, um, whereas, you know, obviously celiac disease is um, now what they're considering an autoimmune condition, but triggered by obviously the, um, the gluten being the trigger for that. Um, so that was my genetic background. However, I'm wondering if there were also environmental triggers that allowed for just the perfect storm for this as well. So all of my, myself and my two sisters, so we were all born by a C-section um, and there were emergency C-sections, all of them. So they were, you know, obviously for life-saving purposes, but we also know that the delivery or the mode of birth greatly impacts immune expression so there's always that little question mark there. Um, was that something that might have allowed this predisposition to happen? And obviously it is never the mother's fault ever. Um, so we, we never place blame on anyone, but it allows for that question um, about that mode of delivery. Um, and that's where you need to actually start with that health history. If you're working with anyone who might have a suspected autoimmune condition, it can be multi-generational, but also um, that's something that's really important to start with as well. Um, my mum grew up on a farm and was exposed to so many environmental toxins and chemicals as well. So we're also wondering if that has allowed for, again, that perfect storm to allow for certain immune triggers to happen um, as they have. Um, but other than that, um, we can't really pinpoint anything else that might have allowed for that to happen. Isn't it interesting too how many, I mean, you've just mentioned, you know, the toxicity component. That's absolutely one of the leading causes of triggers. Um, the question mark is still when it comes to autoimmunity, ladies, they're still not, you know, really clear about exactly why. Some people will have an autoimmune condition and some people won't. You can have mm -hmm. twins that are, you know, identical and one can flare, one doesn't show any signs of autoimmune conditions. And it has a lot to do with the combination, like you said, Andrew, of the perfect storm, which is a genetic predisposition and then throw in there a bunch of triggers. It could be things like toxins, it could be infections, um, natural stress responses. So stress mm -hmm. can be, you know, mental, emotional stress. It could be physical-based stresses, which could be things like an, uh, an injury, a trauma. Mm -hmm. um, then you've got, you know, for example, food-based stresses. So one of the big ones is obviously uh, gluten. 
is, you know, been shown yeah. in studies to show is a massive trigger to the immune system and can certainly show that uh, why it's predisposed with people who, for example, like your sister, you know, issues with regards to celiac disease. But anyone who has any damage to their gut in any way is actually at risk yeah. of autoimmune conditions. And they're starting exactly. to find some really clear links between the, you know, this, we've talked about this before, leaky gut conditions or leaky gut, the leaky gut. Um, and it's connecting to things like diabetes and arthritis, thyroiditis. Um, and it's because of the association with inflammation and the fact yeah. that that leaky gut and those um, tight junctions are, are obviously expanded where basically firing off the immune system all the time because the body feels as though it's constantly being attacked because toxins coming in from the large intestines and from the you know the bowel are moving into the bloodstream which is triggering off um these you know autoantibody responses so it's mm -hmm. super interesting to see how you know we can't pinpoint the cause but there is commonalities across a lot of the conditions Exactly. And usually having one autoimmune condition um, or maybe having, for example, celiac disease mm. absolutely predisposes you to um, the occurrence of further autoimmune conditions as well. Um, so it's almost like that they tend to go hand in hand as well. Um, and any patient that might present with, say, uh, thyroid issues, I'll always explore further down that route. Or if they're getting skin eruptions that might look something like psoriasis. So a lot of people don't know that psoriasis is actually an autoimmune condition then you always want to look further into obviously their gut health because i think that you show me someone with an autoimmune condition i'll show you someone with gut issues yeah um and i think that that was probably um you know certainly true for my um circumstances as well um but we always delve deeper into all right is there any other symptom pictures that go with that which can be pretty tricky because the symptoms that it might present with can be so broad. Um, and this is why that, that the way it clinically manifests might be so different for so many different people. Um, I know with SLE that, um, or with lupus, usually symptomatically people need to have about nine out of 11 to 18 um, symptoms to even be considered um, and then go further into testing, um, which is usually um, via blood. And the classic, you know, ANA or anti-nuclear antibodies blood test um, is the first thing that happens. And if you have a positive ANA, then all that means is that you have positive autoimmune markers and then they can get more specific from then on out. Um, and typically the, the symptoms for autoimmune conditions can be anything. And I love to start with the gut with this because I think that there's such an interrelationship between your gut health and and that inflammatory response that I think is definitely the precursor to the development of autoimmune conditions because of the hay, you know, how the system goes haywire or the immune system goes haywire from there. So it could be bloating, constipation, diarrhea, irritable bowel type, um, you know, symptomatology, or it could be uh symptoms of malabsorption so maybe seeing undigested food in your stool um, anything along those lines um, including like reflux and and everything else but then it can be multi-system as well so anyone with headaches anxiety brain fog um, you know skin eruptions like psoriasis um, flaking hives even acne um, rosacea um, what else, Ash? Uh, so immune things that we might associate with like asthma type symptoms, um, chronic coughs, frequent colds, 
absolutely any kind of thyroid issues. So that might also go along the lines of metabolic conditions as well. So an inability to either lose or gain weight. Um, fatigue, I think, is probably one of the biggest things that goes with that too. So that really chronic fatigued state um, and that just generalized feeling of, of malaise or generalized feeling of just complete un unwellness. Um, you know, I think we talked about anxiety, but feeling wired, but tired and exhausted so that we know that there's a disruption in that HPA access as well. Um, and the list goes on from there. So you can see how broad and completely generalized any of these symptoms might be. I think that's why the clinical picture that goes with autoimmune conditions is pretty tricky. Yeah, and it certainly makes sense as to why I was reading a study on it's just saying how it can take up to three years to actually have a formal diagnosis because there's so many, you know, com I guess compounding symptoms that can be misleading, so often diagnosed with one thing or another thing, um, and that doesn't quite fit the picture or the treatment protocols that have been put in place aren't working. Um, and then so people say, hang on, but we're being treated for, you know, this IBS. IBS, but it's not IBS. So what is it? Um, and then looking further, you know, next gut test happens. Oh no, it's leaky gut and start treating the gut with the gut protocol, but it's not that alone. And then looking further down into those um, more, you know, markers of autoimmune condition. And that's when you start to say, wow, it's taken so long to get this diagnosis. And for good reason, there's no, no simple package that's going to do it. Um, there are certain conditions where there's obviously more clear cut parameters, um, in terms mm -hmm. of diagnostic criteria, but for a lot of the autoimmune range, you know, 80 odd different conditions there, it's very generalized and it's really by a process of elimination. So, um, yeah, so I think ladies, it's, it's generally challenging. I was really fascinated to, you know, realize just how prevalent it is with women. Um, mm -hmm. The majority of disorders, you know, picked up are in women. Um, for example, Hashimoto's is, you know, in yeah. ratio women to men is 10 to 1. So that's pretty, you know, pretty big difference there. Graves disease is 7 to 1 in, you know, in favour of women, unfortunately. Um, and even SLE with uh, women is 9 to 1 against men. So it's more likely that women are going to have these yeah. conditions. And to be honest, I, and I've actually never met a male patient that's been diagnosed with SLE. It's fairly uncommon and fairly unheard of. Mm. Um, and I think it's also interesting because that speaks to the sex differences in that stress response as well. So men yes. tend to go more into like, and although the inflammatory response is responsible for an autoimmune type um, sort of process, but men tend to go more into the inflammatory response when they get stressed. Women tend to go more into that autoimmune. So um, immune system dysregulation uh, is usually that pathway that they go down when they get stressed as well, um, which I think is really interesting. And it is true. And some of the science is showing that uh, some of the you know markers for autoimmune conditions can be sitting on an X chromosome. So obviously women get two of those. Um, men only have one. <laughs> yeah. So in some ways we've already doubled our chances of having a an issue with that in terms of genetic predisposition so that's super interesting and i saw that you know studies as well just looking down the lines of how our hormones uh, you know mm -hmm. uh, and estrogen in particular are involved in our predisposition for autoimmune conditions so there's so much to understand about how and why the body works i think what i find most fascinating is the question mark is why does the body want to attack itself? You know, the body is inherently self-healing. It's innate intelligence always wants to, to repair and, um, and, and fix itself. So why do these killer cells activate and start 
killing, you know, self, so to speak. So, um, you know, and Ash, before you get into that, I also mm. just want to mention when we we're talking about the, the hormonal implications, um, I think it's really important to mention that there can be the instigation of autoimmune conditions from hormonal contraceptives. Um, and a lot of women um, will notice an increase in their symptomatology when they are taking hormones. So just be aware of that too. Which is the same with pregnancy as well. They can notice an yeah. increase or decrease through pregnancy of their autoimmune condition, which is um, showing that direct correlation with the, I guess, the women's hormones. And I think that's yeah. something that we have not got enough science on yet. It's, it's certainly an area of research that's evolving fast. But for all the papers that I read recently, I was just thinking there's nothing very clear cut. There's no, you know, clear cut guidelines in that area and there's no marker to say okay this amount of you know excess estrogen is going to guarantee you know what they definitely say their risk factors for so ladies if you are experiencing things like estrogen dominance um we've talked about that in previous episodes then that is absolutely considered a risk factor for autoimmune conditions uh the development of so i think it's something that when we talk about how we heal our body from the inside out it's often a necessary step to protect the body from hurting itself. You know, we've got to stop that inflammatory response, which can lead or instigate that autoimmune condition. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I love that question of why is this happening? So why is this incredibly intelligent designed body that we have amounting such a response to uh, attack itself? You know, it sounds so counterintuitive and it sounds like that that's not the way it should be designed. Um, but it's, it's very interesting. And I'm wondering if it's part of a, you know, self-protective mechanism as to why that happens. Yeah. Good question. And I think it's, um, a lot has to be said for the change in our environment. Um, you know, there's no doubt about it. Uh, We're under more chemical stress than we've ever been in history. And it's certainly showing that our bodies cannot continue to sustain the onslaught of the environmental triggers that we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so it's all very nice in an ideal world that we could um, escape the city and go and live in the country. And for some people, that's actually what it takes to get well. You know, I've, I've got a patient who required basically letting go of everything that she knew and everything she was in order to save herself. And she went and bought herself a little farm with family, um, you know, turned into sort of a total hippie, as she said. And the <laughs> amazing thing is she credits that for saving her life because there was no way in a city environment she could remove from her environment all the things that were triggering off her autoimmune condition. And she couldn't be well until she removed herself from that environment. And I thought that was, you know, that's the extreme end of the fascinating. Yeah, that's the extreme end of the spectrum. But it also, you know, proved to well, medical professionals who were treating her, that it wasn't a lack of medicine that was why she was sick. She needed to remove herself from the constant triggers that were triggering it. And Mm. she had done everything under the sun. She knew how to deal with the mental stress that they kept putting that as the blame point. Um, And unfortunately, you know, she said, like, I couldn't be less stressed if I tried. I'm only stressed because everyone's telling me I need to stress less. And Mm. she said, internally, I knew I wasn't stressed. That wasn't the driving force. But she said what was then caused the stress was the fact that I didn't know what was causing it. So she's like, well, hang on, I'm doing everything I'm told. 
Isn't that interesting? Mm. So that was, you know, just that's one situation. Obviously, we can't all do that if we are experiencing health challenges like that, but that's what it took for her. And it was a perfect example of an environmental triggered autoimmune condition. And as soon as she got clean air and, you know, dirt on her hands and took a different pace of life, she became a healthy person again. Yeah, that is so fascinating. And I think... I think I probably had a fairly like comparable experience in the sense that I was a teenager, I was in the final years of high school and was definitely having quite bad, you know, quote unquote flare ups. Mm. And uh, the rheumatologist that I was under the care of and I was not medicated um, at this point was very insistent that I start some sort of steroid treatment. Uh, and that's that's common with lupus. Um, the most common treatment is with, you know, something like prednisolone or methotrexate or, um, you know, some pretty horrific drugs to control or suppress that immune response. So pretty much they just mm. shut down your immune system. I was not willing to do that. And I knew adamantly, even as like a young um, teenager when I was diagnosed, that I was not willing to do that because I saw what my auntie went through um, and I saw the really serious chronic weight gain that she had as well. And I saw these women who also had lupus um, that when they were medicated, that was it for them for life. And seeing their health also just completely go downhill. I wasn't willing to go down that path, but also, you know, one of my beautiful health mentors at the time said to me, you can't fence it anymore. Like either you need to choose to completely take control and acknowledge what's going on and change your health. And this is as a teenager where I'm, you know, no one wants to take self-responsibility <laughs> at that age. Yeah. Yep. Or you need to follow what your rheumatologist is suggesting. You just, you can't fence it and just expect these symptoms to go away. Mm. And she was absolutely right. And I think that was the kick up the butt that I really needed to, you know, stop going down that route of the things that were were triggering me at the time. And um, I am so, so grateful that I had that person who was able to have that conversation with me because I feel really lucky that I haven't needed to be medicated Um, which is pretty awesome. Um, And that surprises a lot of the medical profession that I have SLE. And, uh, you know, my testing was actually quite severe. So I had a positive ANA. I had really high teeters, which means like it was a very active disease process. Um, And to not be medicated is pretty awesome. So, you know, that's absolutely possible too. Yeah, incredible. And I think that's uh, something to put out there too, the potential for that healing journey to, you know, to it's possible. Um, yeah. For some people, the diagnosis is almost like a death sentence that's considered, you know, something they can't change. Um, mm-hmm. Often with, you know, a lot of autoimmune conditions, once you start medication, it's medication for life. And there's no consideration that you could possibly be well or possibly ever get off it. It's just considered, you know, medication for life. And that in itself can delay or I think in some ways block the potential healing process because of the fact of the belief in the chronicity of the issue. Um, When you don't believe it's possible to be any different, then, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you heal? So um, it's really interesting to see, I think, when you look at the commonality of inflammation. For me, I just think that's where, you know, you get to the crux of what is common to all of these conditions. And it is the obviously the inflammatory response, the mediation of those inflammatory markers, what's driving it up and can Mm -hmm. you reduce that inflammatory response to prevent that body creating those autoantigen and overactive immune response? Um, Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's definitely something that if anyone's ever heard of Dr. Terry Walls, so she started mm, the Walls she's Protocol. Um, she's quite a famous, um, I guess, doctor because she had very active crippling multiple sclerosis or MS mm. and completely reversed it with a specific food treatment protocol. So it was it was solely food-based. There was no medication or supplementation. Um, and it is like a paleo-type diet, but, but it's very structured. And maybe that will lead us now into uh, the things that you can do if you do have that chronic inflammation or maybe you have been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. So these are some resources or some places to look for and start. So I think definitely the WALLS protocol is is really sound um, and it's very sensible as well. Uh, so they follow a certain amount of vegetables and fruits and, and sulfur and those sorts of things each day, but there is also the eradication of any of those really inflammatory triggers. Um, and they also advocate for bone broth and fermented foods daily as well, which makes sense with reducing the inflammatory response. Um, and I'm wondering if um, with the, the inclusion of the bone broth, I wonder if that's there not only to repair the gut lining, but also to support the production of the bacteroides bugs so um, that's one sort of pathway in the microbiome or one part of the microbiome there. Um, and bacteroides, those are the really good guys. They're part of the inflammatory mediators in the gut and they need blood to, um, I, I guess, really thrive. So I'm wondering if the bone broth is what is really helping with that. Um, I wonder. Anyway, it's look, a I think that I'll it's have all... to investigate a little <laughs> bit more. But uh, yeah, yeah, ask good questions, and then then we search out the answers. And it's certainly you know, and when you're talking about bone broth as well, you're looking down that pathway of um, you know probiotic rich foods or supplementations with probiotics. Because I think the underlying premise of all of the autoimmune healing protocols, you know, like the AIP um, Walls Protocol, it's the same thing: fix the gut first before you can do anything else. And so, you know, looking to the gut, as we've talked in many, many episodes, um, you, you know, you're looking at probiotic rich foods, you're looking at taking, you know, appropriate uh, probiotics for the condition or for your particular health state as it is. Um, there's so many out there. We definitely say what you pay, you pay for what you get. So, yeah. you know, going cheap on probiotics <laughs> is guaranteed you're not going to get what you need. So you, unfortunately for some people who, you know, are restricted by finance, this is one of those areas that is worth investing um, if you're wanting to get well and uh, get that process happening. So I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of just going from that perspective and it's, you know, those collagen rich foods like your bone brothing and then yeah. uh, working on. Yeah, exactly. That and I think for me, my number one recommendation for anyone experiencing, um, you know, any form of excess inflammation in the body is absolutely to manage stress response because obviously your HPA axis, your stress response, your cortisol levels directly impact the way in which your body responds to Massively. any any stress response. So meaning that if there's a chemical trigger, if there is a food-based trigger, if there is something that lands on your skin or you breathe it in or you swallow it, um, you know, how well your body is able to respond to that is in accordance with the current health state. And so if you're highly stressed, your immune system is down. Your immune system is down. You have an exaggerated immune response um, because it's overreacting to anything that you you're contacting and I think you're likely to have um, more stress with increased inflammation. So it's, you know, like this vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah exactly. And remember, it's that perception of stress. 
So it's not, you know, what stresses one person might be completely different to the other person, like what your patient was saying, um, Ash, that had to move the country <laughs> to get away from everything. She yeah. she did not associate with any of that sort of stress. What was stressing her out was that actually everyone telling her she must be stressed, yeah. which I think is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's that perception of and how your body is metering all of those things. So that's certainly something to um Oh yeah, that is definitely absolutely the place to start. That costs absolutely nothing. Just being aware of and looking for those triggers and starting with that stress. And it might be anything that is physical, chemical, or emotional. Definitely. Um, and it might be acute or chronic versions of that as well. Um, so I think that's definitely the number one place to start. Um, Ash, you referred to just quickly the AIP or the autoimmune protocol. Mm -hmm. um, so that is a specific food-based, um, you know, eating protocol that's a little bit different to the the Walls protocol, it is, yeah. uh, which is it is excellent. I find it works really, really well in patients. It's quite restrictive and they definitely don't like you very much where the first, you know, <laughs> four to six weeks. Mm. However, um, the symptom reduction is, is pretty incredible. And essentially you're reducing anything that's going to, uh, you know, have some sort of altered immune response. And the big ones are nuts and seeds, any kinds of beans, legumes, grains, obviously, but all grains, not just the glutinous grains, um, any sweeteners, uh, dairy products, processed fruit, foods, alcohol, che um, I said dairy, sorry, and eggs as well, nightshades um, and certain vegetable oils too. So it is very restrictive. However, it does really make a big difference and it's not forever because you can go through an elimination process and then a reintroduction process to see what your actual triggers are, which I think is really, really powerful. Um, definitely. So I would definitely suggest that everyone check out the autoimmune um, protocol. There's stacks of information online on that and stacks of recipes and, you know, meal plans and everything that you can find. Um, so yeah. have a little Google. Yeah. And I think one of the more obscure things that often um, someone let's just say has been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, I know that one thing that is often overlooked is the, um, like, for example, living space, your actual internal environment, the actual, you know, place you live, the air you're breathing within your home, the, I guess, absence or presence of, for example, mold and mold spores. Um, these are massive immune triggers. And I certainly refer to building biologists um, as yeah. a couple amazing ones here in WA where we live, but these are people who can actually go into your home and conduct a, I guess, a biology evaluation of your home. They run complicated tests. They do, you know, screens, they take water samples, they wipe walls, they, they check everything to see what in your living space could potentially trigger your autoimmune response because there is so much evidence that, for example, taking someone out of a sick environment, putting them into a healthier one. Let's just say people can tell you these stories. Um, they're the ones who lived in a rental property and were having chronic and terrible health experiences, joint yeah, pain, headaches, yeah. all of these issues, changed rental properties, moved on and never had those problems again. And you say, you know, so it is possible to have a sick environment even without the presence of obvious signs of mold or even without the presence of a freeway at your front door, you know, like there's so many other, I guess, elusive little triggers. And this is where building biologists can be really helpful if you're someone who's more susceptible or is already at risk of an autoimmune condition. 
Yeah. Yep. I absolutely agree. I'm about to um, actually do that for a friend. I'm sending a building biologist to their place as a gift <laughs> yeah. just because their their whole family is so chronically sick so often mm. um, and they've covered all other bases. So it has to be something, um, some sort of environmental thing that they're exposing themselves to continuously at home. Yeah. Um, let's just quickly talk about testing um, before we wrap up. So mm. if you do think you might have an autoimmune condition and you want to um, delve into that further, so this is obviously um, specific testing that you need to do through your practitioner. Um, and the first thing that they'll do is an ANA or an anti-nuclear antibody test, which is a blood test. Um, and then they'll measure um, whether or not that is reactive to certain things. Um, there is the one that is really specific for lupus for for me was an anti-Smith antibody, um, which is very specific for um, lupus, but not seen very commonly as well. So uh, they might also look at ESR or erythro, um, erythrocyte sedimentation rate, um, which is just an inflammatory marker and like high sensitive CRP, um, again, which is just an inflammatory marker. If they're thinking along the lines of maybe like rheumatoid conditions, it might be an RA, so, oh, sorry, a RF, a rheumatoid factor. Mm -hmm. um, now, my God, will really take me back to pathology. Now I'm trying to remember all of the, <laughs> the, the clinical testing. Um, and that is just like a very brief um, sort of overview of the things that they might, they might look at, but that's usually the place I'll start is with the ANA. Um, so ladies, if you have had experience with any kind of or any sort of those 80 autoimmune conditions and you've found specific things that have been really helpful for you, we would love to hear from you. Um, please make sure that you post it on the Facebook, so facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Women. Um, I'll certainly, certainly share the things that I did for myself that were really helpful on there too. Um, and make sure that you're following us on Instagram as well. So The Wellness Women official. Ladies, if you haven't subscribed, uh, to the podcast already, please make sure you do on your podcast app, on your iTunes or your Android or whatever uh, system it is that you're using. Make sure you're subscribing on there. That way you get um, the latest info from us every single week into your direct download. And it's always free as per usual. Um, so ladies, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Wellness Women Radio. We've given you a bit of an intro and insight into autoimmune diseases. And until next week, be well. This year, the Wellness Summit returns. I realised in this time that I couldn't keep waiting for love from other people. I couldn't keep expecting love from other sources. But I had to give that to myself. Yanni says, I don't care if everyone says that the kitchen is the woman's world. He says, I'm going to prepare food. I love my own cheese. I love my own wine. I don't care what you think of my new flat screen TV. He just loves company. I started asking myself more often, what do I want? Such a simple question, isn't it? But when you think that, and I'm sure all of you sitting there, when you think that, something springs into your mind. And there's something there that you want that you haven't been doing for yourself. Brett Hill and Marcus Pierce feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.